Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Winifred Summer. Welcome to another episode of W-I-N-I-F-R-E-D, the podcast, writing, inspiring, notably, intentionally, for readers everywhere to discover. Another great episode. I'm continuing to just do interviews on interviews on interviews. Um, And so I have another great one with Antoine Floyd Sr. Oh my gosh, this guy's full of surprises. He is so experienced, so knowledgeable. Um, He's achieved so many great things, but he's so low-key. So I had to take the opportunity to kind of get to his brain and, and learn some more things about him and share them with you. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? It is Winifred Summer, and we are back again with another amazing podcast episode. I am interviewing somebody that is a very interesting <laughs> and very accomplished. Um, welcome, Antoine Floyd, senior in the house, ladies and gentlemen. How are you, Antoine? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, I am wonderful. Um, So to kick it off, you know, I like to let people know where I meet these amazing people that become guests on my show. And so you and I connected on Instagram. Um, So reading your Instagram bio right now, it's right in front of me. It says publisher, author, reviewer, booktuber. Um, which are all really awesome titles. So out of the four, which one is your favorite, if you have a favorite? Oh, uh, I guess I would say being an author. That's my favorite, I guess, for different reasons. So yeah, if I had to choose, I'd say being an author. Well, let's go back to becoming an author, right? Um, when did you realize that you had a gift um, and that you wanted to take it to a place where you would be publishing work? Like, how did you discover your gift of writing? Did somebody notice it in you and encourage you? Or was it something you just kind of, I don't know, fell upon like on a whim? Tell us about that. Well, I always kind of knew, but I guess I didn't know. I didn't really recognize it. When I was a little kid, I used to be like, I guess people probably view it as like being a weird kid, I guess, because the type of games I used to play was I would get a paper and I would draw and write out my own advertising for products like this soap and do my own commercials. When I was a little kid, you know what I'm saying? So I I, I always knew I had a, a knack for writing, I guess, even back then. But fast forward, I when I uh, graduated from high school, before I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, I had like one semester left and I didn't have any plans. And my 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 homeroom teacher, he asked me if I was going to college. And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, no. He was like, well, do you plan? He like, I was like, what do I, what would I go for? He's like, I don't know. You can go for culinary arts. It's a two-year degree. So that's what I went for. I, I signed up for culinary arts. Did it for one semester. Didn't like it. So then I went. And I went for graphic design. Didn't like that. Went for screenwriting and directing, didn't like that. I tried to become a bartender before. I did all these different things. And one day I just sat down and started writing a um, screenplay. And after I did my screenplay, I took, I got a one-way ticket and went to, went out to Hollywood to try to shop my, my script. And I worked so much. I didn't know anybody there. All I did was work and go to sleep because I was living out of a hotel room. I never got to shop my script, but I was in a Borders books. So that lets you know how long ago that was back when Borders books were still around. Hmm. I was in Borders books and John Singleton was in there. 
and I did not have my script with me. So after that happened, I was kind of frustrated and I went back home and I came across a book by this author named Quan. He writes like the urban fiction books, the hood books. And I was like, oh, I like this, I can do this. I didn't even know they were still doing it. I had read the books when I was younger, like um, Donald Goins and Iceberg Slim, but I didn't know that the newer generation was doing it. So I, I started reading and researching and um, I learned how to self-publish and that's how I started doing it. And the reason why I kept with it is because I've tried all those other things in my life and I quit them and I never quit this. So I was like, okay, so this must be my thing. Interesting. Very interesting. You said you said a lot. So you kind of dabbled in different things, some trial and error. You know, it's interesting because I'm really passionate about talking to the youth about, you know, creating their lives as far as like their career choices, because I know in high school, there's a lot of pressure for these kids. I mean, you're still a kid um, when you're in high school, so much pressure to figure out what are you going to do for the rest of your life. Right. If you don't know, you kind of get lost in this sea of, well, maybe this, maybe that, maybe somebody tells you to do something and then you just kind of jump to it. And a lot of people follow through like they go all the way they finish it they get the degree and then they sit there and say man I don't even like um this thing that I've invested so much in so I applaud you for you know trying different things doing this doing that not being afraid to shift gears I think that's really awesome and I think that teenagers young adults because even in young adulthood you might not know, like I didn't figure out my passion for human resources until I was like in my late twenties or like crossing into thirties. So stuff changes. I just wanted to kind of um, acknowledge that. And then you said, oh man, you met the late great John Singleton. And you had mentioned this before um, we were talking and I was just like, what in the whole heck? Like that's not just somebody you're gonna catch, you know, at the Piggly Wiggly or something. So the fact that you got to meet him, um, that is so, 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 so amazing. And Wow. So then you did the screenwriting, the screenplay. Um, and then you said you learned how to self-publish a book. So how did you learn that? Because I, when people get interviewed and they kind of gloss over something so major, it's like, oh yeah, I just learned how to self-publish. Like, what did you learn? What, how did you learn it? What did you look, what did you research? Like, tell us about that process. So Back when I first started doing it, back in like 2009, I was fairly new to the internet. Like I knew how to use the computer and stuff as far as um, I used to go on LimeWire and burn CDs and all that stuff. But I wasn't, <coughs> excuse me, I wasn't actively on the internet all the time. So to be honest with you, I was kind of scared because the stuff that I needed to get done, like as far as the interior design, that's for people who might not know, that's when you, um, what, what makes the inside of a book look like the inside of a book, like the page number and how the paragraphs and stuff are set up. So you, I had to, I didn't know anything about that. So I, I Googled and I found people who can do it. Then I found somebody who could do like a graphic designer who could do my book cover. And I was scared because the internet was new to me. And I will have to send my credit card information to these people. So it took me a really long time to work up the nerve to actually trust somebody to send that, send my information to them to get that done. But that was a part of it. I, I Googled, you know what I'm saying, how to make, what you need to do to make it first. Before I even went the self-publishing route, I had to weigh my options because I learned that there were, I actually learned kind of quick that there were three options. And I'm glad that I did because a lot of people got burned on one of the options. So one of the options you have is you can go the traditional route. So you can, you figure out your genre you want to write in, then you figure out the um, from one of the big publishing houses 
who publishes books in your genre. And then you have to figure out how do they accept submissions. Um, query letters. A query letter is when you write a little letter saying who you are and get them a little sample of your of your writing and you send it to them. And then you have to wait for them to get back to you. And if they get back to you, then you got to mail them a copy of what you written if they want a longer version. It's a longer process and you get a lot of no's. And I also learned that if you are not, like say you get signed, right? And they give you an advance. They give you your advance. Your book gets done. It comes out. And if it doesn't blow up overnight, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of exaggerating when I say overnight, but if it's not a, a success, then they stop putting money into it. And it's just sitting there. So you have to get out there and promote your own work anyway. So then after I learned that, and I learned that if you self-publish, you have to promote your own work. But you, it might take you longer, but you keep more of the profit. That's what made me just go to self-publishing route. That makes sense. Absolutely. All right, Professor. All right. Thank you for for schooling us. Um, that's fascinating. Oh, oh but I left one out. I'm sorry. That when I said before, I, I learned a lot of people got burned. Those are the two different ways. They had the um the traditional route where you send the query letters and you try to get signed. Then you had to self-publish. Then they have the vanity press. That's the one where people get burned a lot. I learned over the years as I started meeting other people who are self-publishing. Um, a quick uh, explanation of Vanity Press is basically is a company that will do all of the work for you and you pay them to do this for you and they take a cut of your money. Yeah, a lot of people, like for example, you wanna order some books, your book, if you printed it up yourself, like if you didn't go through the vanity press, I'm just guessing, uh, you, you might pay a couple of dollars to get it printed, two, three dollars per book. But I was meeting people and they were paying like seven or eight dollars per book to get their book printed. Yes, but they didn't know because, you know, it was their first time doing it and they ended up messing with a vanity press. So those are the three ways that I learned. I learned that there are um, vanity press, um, self-publishing and submitting to the big publishing house. Wow, you know, it's interesting because listening to you talk, it took me back to a time, a time period. The youngins will not be able to relate, but I remember going through that process of research because I knew I've always wanted to, you know, publish a book. And I remember looking at the traditional route. I remember writing query letters and trying to mm -hmm. learn how to make the right letter using the template and picking the places I was going to mail my letter to. And then I remember looking up those vanity, um, those vanity houses or whatever. They, mm -hmm. had, they had this website. It was called Editors and Predators. And yes. You remember that? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was basically to let people know which ones were really going to be useful, that were credible, reasonably priced. And then it would tell you the ones that were scammers that just were going to say, yeah, we're going to do this, 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 take up all your money, um, sneak in a bunch of hidden fees and mm -hmm. not really return. Because that was, and that's still a thing, but I think that it's a little different now. Like, there are people that will capitalize off those ambitious, um, talented people that are just so eager to get things done that they're overlooking a lot of ne necessities when it comes to getting their work out there. You know, they do it in the music business, yeah. they do it in the island business. Like, there's always some like shady, uh, yeah, agency that's like, hey, trying mm -hmm. to sell you a dream. And the biggest one I remember is Ex Liberis. They were, <laughs> they were getting a lot of people. I don't even know if they're still around. I haven't heard them heard their name in a while, but they were getting a lot of people. Oh my gosh, that that was a time, and now yeah. things are so <laughs> more. Um, you know, I'm not going to say easier, but things are simplified a lot more. I feel yeah. like there's so there's many a lot more information out there. 
Exactly. Like I remember editors and predators. Shout out to whoever created that. Um, <laughs> it was freaking awesome. But there were like a few, very few, um, like publications or resources to help you kind of fact check people. But now um, you can find out right away. What's I got I got scammed once. Tell us about it. What happened? So this was back in my myspace days it was a guy on there because just like facebook and instagram and twitter and tiktok they're always different communities right so depending on what you what you what you're doing in life so i was in the little community with the authors and all that and it was this guy on there i don't remember the guy's name but it was this guy on there and he was really popular. He had a lot of follow, big, huge following. And he was putting together a brochure for authors to put their, excuse <coughs> me. He was putting together a brochure for authors to put their books in there. And he was going to ship them off to all the prisons across the country. And he was charging people $50 to put, you could put all your titles in there, 50 bucks. And he was going to mail them off. Then the people in the prisons can order your books. Mm. Yes. And he got a lot of people to sign up for it. And I was one. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Because the idea sounded like a great idea. Mm. But I guess it was too much work for him to actually go ahead and get it printed up. He's <laughs> like, I'm just going to keep the money. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah. So many people got got, um, and they're still getting got. Uh, mm. But yeah, that was a very special time because it was like, I feel like self-publishing your work was, I don't want to say it was new because it wasn't new, but I guess the reality of it, you know, with the internet popping off and mm -hmm. people kind of finding their own voices. You mentioned MySpace, you know, social media was slowly becoming a thing and people were you know kind of catching on but not all the way um so yeah it was just a really a really precious time oh my gosh you also took me back when you mentioned LimeWire and burning cds let me tell you something i <laughs> burn a cd when i tell you i had all the songs all the jams and i was one bear share yeah um, <laughs> napster yeah I, I guess there's the statute of limitations because that that stuff actually became uh illegal <laughs> or it was yeah. the whole time so we just gonna act like we didn't say that um but yeah okay so you know i i kind of miss those days because i you know even with the burning the cds because it takes me back to when i used to um make tapes like i had tapes and i put all my favorite songs on one tape that was the same thing with the line wire, but it made me think back even further. Like I miss the days when you used to be able to call in on the radio, like twelve o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, when they got the slow songs playing, and you can dedicate a song to a girl and all that. Oh, that's gone. You can still do that. You can still dedicate a song to a girl. She can look the song up herself. Yeah, but I mean, the intention, I guess. I mean, who? Okay, so this is a interesting conversation because you know they say radio is, is dying and it is dying <laughs> do you need a cough drop we you know, I'm, 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 I'm sorry you know i've been sitting here for hours and i have not coughed none but as soon as i started talking to you i started coughing i hope you're not allergic to me um but yeah so i guess so they say radio is dying and i do agree that to an extent it is, even though it still exists, you know, a lot of people are streaming their music. You can hear all the songs you want without commercials or there's certain channels that are ad free. So, you know, a lot of us these days, we don't have the patience for the radio, but as I've gotten older, I find that I enjoy radio more because I like talk radio. So I like people that call in and give their opinions and it's happening live in real time, very organic. Um, you know, you're listening to people in your, your town, your community. So 
I mean, you can still, you know, request a song, song a little shorty, but you just don't know if she. If she's listening. She is not listening. You have to tell her to listen to the radio. Like, hey, right. She's going to be like, for what? You better, like, not, like. better off posting it on your social media than going through it, or maybe having a radio station post it. And then tag her, and that way she'll get a notification. That's some that's some some romantic game for the folks out there. Um, okay, so we talked about you publishing and you know writing. So, oh, where do I begin? Because you got a lot of stuff going on. So, how many books have you have you published, sir? Tell us. So I have published. I don't know count. Three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. About sixteen, and that's um, ebooks and, I mean, that's um, short stories and full-length novels. About sixteen. Oh, kind. Okay. Yes, I'm giving you the right there. That is that is fantastic. That is phenomenal. Um, you know, there are people, and we all know those people that talk for years about, oh, I want to write a book. Oh, mm -hmm. I want to write a book. And they never even finish one. So I definitely applaud you uh, for putting in all that work. So I'm actually on your website right now crimefictionmedia.com and I will provide links you know so people can check um your website out as as well as your social media so crime fiction media so what is it about I'm going to actually read some of these titles off okay okay cannibal in the city body bags and last rites a pound of flesh an ounce of blood, the detective and the criminal, okay? Danielle Lovelace, vigilante for hire, Purple Rain, a trigger brown mystery, dead before morning. <laughs> so these are some like, hard-hitting titles i'm like oh 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 what's going on here so there's kind of like a and correct me if i'm wrong i feel like there's kind of like a darkness theme um so what is it with that that kind of makes that i guess your niche area in your writing okay so <clears throat> you're on my website and you see the books um crew love and crew love too mm -hmm. those were my first two books that I wrote. I wrote those. Um, those were, I wanted to be different. So they're set in the early 1900s. And they're about the policy kings, you know, like uh, Bumpy Johnson and them back in the day when they used to run numbers, like illegal lottery. That's what they used to do back in the day uh, in the black neighborhoods. So I wrote those books. They were urban fiction. But I, I wanted it to be different, so I had them set back in the early 1900s. But when I first came out, and just like it is now, I saw that it was oversaturated with so much. Well, in my opinion, it was. Some people might not think that way. I felt like it was oversaturated with so much urban fiction, so many hood books. So I got out of that genre, and that's where I got to the Peacekeeper. Um, Peacekeeper, uh, Black Love Detective Story. Uh, I switched it over to detective novels. So I write crime fiction. So it's not so much dark. Like the titles are kind of hard, but they're not really dark books. You know what I'm saying? It's more um, detective stories. I, I came up with the character Black Love. That's actually his name, Black Love. I came up with that character because in my opinion, I felt like, and this was, I forgot what year I wrote this book, but probably like 2015 or something like that. 
um, I felt like that's when we were entering the era of the pussification of men. Oh my gosh. So that's what made me want to make a strong black male lead character. So all of these books are a series. Mm -hmm. And they all revolve around this, this character, Black Love. So that's how I got that, got to that point. Fascinating, very fascinating. You know, you have mentioned hood books. Um, I remember growing up, so I had some interesting stages when it came to my selection of reading. So initially when I started out, reading um I was very much I guess the first type of book I got super hooked on was like the R.L. Stein so I would get goosebumps all, all the time I was ordering that from like the book fair then there was fear street so I started out kind of in like the horror um I guess young adult teeny bopper um kind of horror type books and then I slowly started to move out of that stage and I started to go into some books like, okay, more about young black girls or, or black women. Um, so I read stuff like Fly Girl, um, mm -hmm. Coldest Winter Ever. You know, I started kind of moving into that sphere. Then I started to get into like, Eric Jerome Dickies and that's one of my favorite authors <laughs> oh yeah he's a legend and as well as my personal favorite author which is Elin Harris um I got into Elin really really heavy but I noticed you know the I guess the hood book category it seemed to be the most popular amongst and I'm just being real for a second and if anybody disagrees they can disagree, but amongst the um, the Black people that I knew, and even when you went to the bookstores, they would have a section, and they they have changed it over time, but mm -hmm. there would be like the, the Black authors section, <laughs> and it would be one itty bitty bookcase, and on that one bookcase, it would be flooded with probably 95% of the who books, so Player, player, and the the roundaway girl that loves all those triple, those triple crown books. <laughs> they were like, you, you remember know, that? Yeah, they would be that that um pretty much some some lyric from a popular song, you know, slap it on a book. Um, so it was a lot mm -hmm. of that. It was some gangster stuff. Um, and you know, those books are entertaining. I feel like though there is a place for those books, but they were pretty much the majority of what was available. So if you were a, you know, a black person or even a non-black person that wanted to read, you know, a book about, I guess, things that go on in black culture, quote unquote, um, or just black stories, you were kind of like in this one little corner, like there wasn't a variety. And so it has changed over time um, and it's continuing to get better. Even in recent years, I don't see that one little shelf anymore that says, you know, African-American literature. Like they have made more categories um, and have changed the way they kind of advertise certain books, but which I think is great. I, think I was about to ask you that, your opinion on that. Do you think that's good that they did that? I do like that they made more categories. Yeah, I do. So there'll be like black romance. It'll be like um, you know black science fiction. It'll be okay like that. I thought you meant like they just took away from the African American or black and then just mix everything together. I mean, some some areas they will mix them together, like popular releases. Like you will see black authors and different people that usually and this is just me speaking on my own experience they used to just strategically say okay the black books go here and then everything else is spread out in the different categories right now there might be a shelf that's dedicated to black authors but it will be like highlighted like okay these are black christian books these are you know cookbooks written by um black author so I don't know I just don't think the way that they 
lay it out and they spread the different, you know, uh, types out of books has been amazing. Um, it's been amazing. So just, just from my own vision, like I can go to a Walmart and I'll see the latest book by, I don't know, Steve Harvey or something. And it'll be right there next to the Danielle Steele book or the Stephen King book. Like everything, you know, new releases will be mixed together. Whereas before it'd be like, oh, you're trying to find that latest, uh, that latest Omar Tyree, oh, you gotta go to the to the black the black book section. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Right. Hopefully somebody can feel me. But I remember me personally, I was so dedicated to write things that were different because I was thinking about people like me that, you know, yeah, I might want to read a little, you know, a little wild. A wild time type book or some some action and this and that, but then I might just want to read about somebody I can relate to, um, someone who you know is not necessarily exposed to those certain types of things. But anyway, that's that's my ramble. So tell me, um, do you have a goal as far as like a numbers goal? How many books you want to leave in your legacy, your catalog, or are you just kind of pumping them out as you see fit? I wish I could put out more quicker. Um, I have like three pages full of titles because ideas just constantly come to my head and uh, plot lines and stuff. So I wish I could write faster. So no, I don't have a number. I'm just trying to write as many as I can before I die and try to have all my IPs you know, intellectual properties and um, copyrights and all that stuff, have it all together, make sure everything is legit. Because I haven't blown up like I want to blow up. So I'm, I'm in my mind now, I'm thinking like, maybe that might not never happen. But if I have all this stuff done, maybe it'll happen after I die. Then my kids can eat off of it. Mm. So I just want to get as much done as I can before I die. Well, Hey, that, I mean, that's a real thing. I, I mean, I would hope that you would get to see it, but that is a thing. Like there are some people, um, artists, uh, that- Zora Neale Hurston, she was popular. She was popping in the black community, um, but she didn't blow up mainstream until like, she died. That's facts. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, and then sometimes books become movies and yeah. then the movie will blow up. Like the book, you know, will be cool, but then the movie blows up and then the movie drives people back to the book because they want to, you know, kind of see the, with the original and how closely it's related. So I've heard stories like that. Um, mm -hmm. So, no, I love it. I think it's so important to leave, you know, a special collection behind. For some people, it's just one book. Some folks only got that one banger. It's kind of like a one hit wonder. And some people like to make fun of one hit wonders. But I'm like, do you know how hard it is to actually get one hit? Like yeah. a lot of people eat for like decades off of one hit. Sometimes one hit is all you need to mm -hmm. open doors. Because I've often said that. I said if I can get one book, that's another reason why I put I'm trying to put out as much as I can. Because I'm like, all I need is for one to hit. Because if people think like I think, they're going to go back and buy all my other stuff. Even if people tell them it's trash, like, don't buy that. It's, it's not good. This is the best book you ever did. They're not going to believe them, and they're going to go buy it anyway. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. It takes one excellent piece of work to create a cult following. I hate using that word cult, but to create a strong fan base, it just takes one. And from then on out, like you said, whatever you create, like there's this one woman, I'm not gonna put her out there, but people gonna know who, they gonna know who I'm talking about. So she has this one iconic, iconic book that- I know who you're talking about. Okay, don't say her name, people, don't say people, her name. I know and people still going by the other ones and then complain about them. <laughs> they, they get online, they get on YouTube and they trash her work. And I'm like, y'all steady buying them. Like I remember waiting 
a decade for this book mm -hmm. to come out because it was the sequel. Mind I you, didn't I never read the last one. So look, I read the one that came after that one. Mm -hmm. And then I read the one that was the sequel to that one. Mm -hmm. But I didn't read the other little spinoffs. Mm. You know, the one with the car name. Mm -hmm. I stopped. Last, I did the same as you. I read the, the one that came after the first book, and then there was one more after that. And I remember being so pressed to get those two, and then I didn't, I wasn't feeling them. And so there were other books that came out, and I was like, nah, I ain't worried about that. But then when I heard about the, the big grand sequel to the I, I didn't read them. <laughs> I didn't read it either because people were going so hard online. And I usually don't let um, you know, the commentary of people like push me away from reading something or watching something that I want to watch. But it was the things that they were saying about it being demonic and I was like mm, I don't know if I want to open that up in you know and tamper with that not and, and the truth is I really don't know but they were going so hard they were dragging it for filth um, it kind of made me want to go read it because a lot of times the, the stuff that people the main masses don't like I end up liking it because mm -hmm. I didn't have a huge problem with the book that came out um after you know, a lot of people was complaining, like, it's so unrealistic. That boy would not be doing all that. <laughs> he is too mature for that age. I didn't think so, because I had cousins that was doing stuff like that at that age. You know what I'm saying? Like, their parents was on drugs. So they was doing all the stuff they do was doing in the book. So it didn't seem that far-fetched to me. Yeah, I guess it's just one of those things where... You know, it just depends. But but to your point and to our point, people still went out in droves to get the book, even yeah. still, because now it's like, oh, I want to know yeah. what all the, the talk is about. People had that joint on pre-order for months before. He definitely got that bag. <laughs> the bag was heavy. But look, this is what I think, man. My own personal opinion. I think that first book was ghostwritten. I'm glad we didn't say her name because I am not trying to put nothing out. There. That's just my, I can have no opinion. Because <laughs> none of the other books were ever as good. That's so, a fact. And I, and I like the other books. They just weren't as good as the first one. So it just made me think like nobody's skill level dropped off that much. Yikes. I mean, no, sometimes... Sir hard to to repeat like a michael jackson thriller you can't recapture a thriller no you cannot recapture a thriller but he still has some bangers that he did <laughs> <laughs> that he did he name about five or six bangers <laughs> listen you rock my world and that came later on in his career that's yeah. one of my favorite songs i love you rock my world butterfly yeah so he still has some bangers, but no, it's not Thriller. Nobody's going to ever top their biggest thing. But I ain't going to say never. But some people won't. Like Michael Jackson, he would never would have had. Eminem, he never will because he just never will. You know what I mean? Some people just never going to top that. Definitely. You ain't lying about that. All right, cool. Well, I just got a couple more questions and then we'll we'll get into some other things. So while you are talking, I'm sure, because normally I ask people where they're from and I didn't, I know where you're from because we have talked, but I, I want the listeners to know because I'm sure they're listening to your accent and they're wondering where you're from. So let us know where you're from. Mars. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Is that a new city? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I am out of this world. No, I'm originally from Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I live in Indiana now, though. I lived in Minnesota most of my life, though. I can hear Chicago. You can do what in Chicago? I, I can hear. I can hear the Chicago. And wh while you talk, and day one since I've heard you talk, it makes me think of. R. Kelly, I mean, it just, oh no, it just There's so many other people from there. <laughs> what? That's the first person you think 
And you know, I don't applaud any of the stuff. He is in jail, but he he is one of the people that, for me, a person that's never known anyone personally to to live there. Um, you know, that was like, oh, Chicago, R. Kelly, Chicago, R. Kelly. You know what I mean? Like, there's common and stuff, but R. Kelly was was the person. So when I hear you talk, I hear intros to songs like "Step in the Name of Love." <laughs> I hear the I mean, you can't help what you sound like, but, but yeah, wow. So Chicago and speaking of places, um, you told me recently you went to visit Atlanta and I thought that was so dope because that's something at some point in my, um, writing journey, I would love to do is, you know, get outside of the DMV and actually, you know, you should go because there's this store out there called urban books. Mm-hmm. No, is it called Urban Books? I take that back. It's not Urban Books. When I think of it, I'm gonna tell you. But it's this bookstore out there. The guy is so cool, uh, Marcus. Um, you can go out there and do book signings. It's a black-owned bookstore. Mm-hmm. And I think you would do great out there if you went out there. That sounds great. I would love to do something like that. I mean, I will. I haven't even done something like that in my own. Uh, in my own state. Nubian I mean, books. That's what it is. Nubian books. You know what? And I I would love, and I feel like a lot of people have this, this dream or this idea of having their own bookstore or their own like spot. They have those little mm-hmm. book trucks and stuff, or even the stands at the mall. I don't know if you remember Caribou Books. That was like the big one in the DMV. I think they went out of business or something, but you know, it's so awesome to see these bookstores, these Black-owned bookstores or cafes and like these special um, event spaces where they allow authors to set up shop, uh, vendors, vendor spaces and stuff like that. But anyway, I only brought that up because I thought that was so cool. And I think that as writers, authors, it's important for us to get out there and touch the ground, um, physically touch the ground. Because with social media, you can literally talk to anyone, anywhere, sell stuff anywhere. But it's it's a different vibe when you actually touch down and get to see and engage with people face-to-face um, and share your work. So I just wanted to applaud you for that. So, all right, Antoine. Um, hmm. So we are going to play a little game. And after we play the game, I am going to give you the floor to, you know, share whatever you like to share, whether it's like ways for us to communicate with you um, and support you, or maybe give us something that's coming up soon that we can look forward to. The floor will be totally yours, but we are going to play this little game real quick. Are you... um? Are you down for a game? Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) All right. So this game actually is going to have almost nothing to do with anything that we talked about. So (laughs) on your Instagram, I I really like when you post your kind of like recipe you've done a couple times I want to say it's on Monday correct me if I'm wrong it could be the wrong day of the week but you will like post yourself with a meal or something that you're eating and you'll be talking about a book Um, I guess that kind of goes back to you being like a booktuber or doing reviews and I thought that was really dope and before we get into the game kind of talk about what inspired you to actually do that specifically because that's really creative um i am horrible at the whole social media thing um as far as getting revenue from it at first all i was doing was putting my links out there telling people to go buy my stuff go buy this go buy this go buy this go buy this I'm not really getting any engagement. But I've been learning that I have to learn how to build a relationship with um, people who follow me or people who I want to follow me, uh, new followers and stuff like that. So I started the little booktube thing. 
I did that for probably about a year and still wasn't getting any traction. So that's when I just started this um, Monday Meals. I just started that. Like around the time when I met you, I had just started doing it. So that, that was my idea to do that, um, to try to get my YouTube numbers up and engage with people and talk about two things that, you know what I'm saying, I like to do. I like to eat and I don't really like to cook so much, but I'm single, so I gotta cook. So I, I just take people with me on my little, my little um, journey of moving around in the kitchen. And I tell them what I'm cooking and tell them whatever book I read. I try to pair the book with the meal. You know what I'm saying? Like um, I read um, a comic, like a graphic novel called Philadelphia. So I made um, Philly cheesesteak and chicken Philly stuffed peppers. You know what I'm saying? So I try to make the two things correlate in some kind of way. But that's how I ended up doing that. That sounds so good. <laughs> but no, I think that that's super fly. All right. So since we are talking about cooking, I guess in a sense, I'm going to quiz you on some popular cooking shows. Now, it is okay if you don't know the answers. This is a totally random um game but you know you can give it a shot and who knows you may surprise us with your ability to you know answer these questions so if you're ready to rock and roll we can rock and roll i'm ready so this cooking show is and the way i'm going to basically describe it to give you clues so this cooking show is very hot if you are in the kitchen, you'll probably get yelled at. Probably oh, get cussed out. And <laughs> look at you. You are good. See, I should have known. I should have known. Okay. So, yes, correct. You are absolutely correct on that one. Hell's Kitchen is probably one of the legendary um, cooking shows. All right. So, next one. So this one, hmm, we were talking about hell, <laughs> but this one is a little, it can be a little holy um, because when I think of this show, show, I think of the Bible verse um, that says blank sharpens blank. Still sharpens still? Close, close. Um, so let's say for this cooking show, there's emphasis on a certain certain material, certain metal, I guess. It's not steel, um, but you're in the in the ballpark. Okay, think of a superhero. There is a, a character with this name, Blank Man. Yeah, with Damon Wayne, Blank Man. No, no, I'm sorry. Blake is the villain. <laughs> Blank. So this superhero wears gold and red. Um, Jeff. Who? Jeff. <laughs> okay, I mean, I'm going to give you this one. Iron. Iron Chef. Iron Chef. Oh, yeah, I used to like that show. That was my show. Yeah, that was the joint. Um, most definitely. Okay, cool. So for this cooking show, um, this gentleman, I mean, he was just super duper fly. Watching this guy, you could see him on BET or TV One. He wore glasses. He was bald headed. He was one Isaac of the Hayes. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was a good guess though. <laughs> <laughs> This guy, you know, oh, what can I say about him? He kind of, he was just too cool for school. Um, but I, I might just give you this one because this one is kind of hard because if you didn't watch the show. Yeah, because I don't know any cool um, people who cook on TV. None of them were cool. None of them? No. <laughs> well, G. Garvin. G. Garvin. And this yeah, is for the he was on TV One and they they Oh TV up, One, but he must have been black. 
yes, G Garmin was blessed. Turn up the heat with G Garvin. Legend. You, you might want to check him out. He's a pretty the coolest person guy. I've seen. The coolest person I've seen cooking on TV was Martha and Snoop. Oh my God. <laughs> well, that was actually gonna be on my list. So you got that one. Martha and Snoop was an interesting um was an interesting show. I will say that. It was funny, it was light hearted. They Cooked. Some of that food I wouldn't even touch, though. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that looked like trash. <laughs> but it was all in good fun. All right, well, you did very well on that game. It was pretty short, um, but you did that. So, all right, you have the floor. So if there's anything that you want to tell everyone out there, like how to follow you or support you, let us well, know. Well, I have a question. You're on your, 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 uh, on your laptop, whatever? Uh, I am. Open your message and Instagram and tell me, do you know who that guy is? Oh, <laughs> okay, yes. Let me check that out. I do have it. Oh my gosh, that is, um, isn't that Omar Tariq? Yes. So when I had my bookstore, um, I started off at a kiosk, but then I moved to a bookstore and when I had my first book signing, he was there. He he came and did a book signing when I first opened. Okay, hold on, hold on. Stop the press. You said you had a bookstore. Yes, I thought I told you that before. Yeah, I had a bookstore. You know store. what? You did, and then I forgot. And now we gotta now we gotta talk about it. How did you do that? How did you do it? So I wanted to, you're an author, and how you just said, it's rough out here to try to get your stuff out there. So I learned a lot from having that business. I came purely from a, from the, the, the point of view of the author's author. So all the books that I sold, besides his, all the books that I sold were by self-published authors. Because hmm. I wanted to have a, a, um, a platform for us. So I started off with a kiosk. I was in the mall, I rented a kiosk and I'll be there selling my books. And I started having book signers right there at the kiosk, right there in the middle of the mall. And it started doing well. And I started to make a little bit of money. So that's when I was able to upgrade to a store. You know what I'm saying? I moved in the store and um, I started doing book signings every Saturday. And it got so good to where I was doing two authors every Saturday. And it was fun. Like I helped a lot of authors, like a lot of first time authors. I, I told them like somebody like you, um, who probably never did one before, I helped them to learn how to come out of that shell and talk to people and actually sell their books. Cause that'd be the biggest thing on um, what you learn is a lot of authors are introverts. Yes. So, they would come and they'd just sit behind the table and they wouldn't say nothing to nobody and nobody would buy books. So I, I would teach them that you have to get, you can't sit down. I would tell them, I, I put the chair here because I'm being courteous, but if you want to sell books, don't sit down. You got to stand up. You got to walk around and talk to people. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? I'm like, don't be scared to talk to these people because the more we were in was mostly black people. And most of the authors that I had were black people. So I'm like, talk to these people. It's just like when you start having conversations with them, you're going to feel like a lot of these people are going to remind you of people you related to. So don't be nervous. Just talk to them. Because they're not buying your book. They never heard of you before. They're not buying your book. They're buying you. So if they like you, they're going to buy the book. Mm. That's a word right there. So people are going to get on me if I don't ask this because it sounds so easy. Oh yeah, I just got the kiosk. Or, yeah. <laughs> and I upgraded to a store. How? And we're not trying to get in your pockets, but right. let's at that time, how much did it cost to get the kiosk? Estimates. And so no, I'm, I'm gonna give you the real price. So look, anybody can do it now. It just depends on how hard you want to work. So all across this country, most of these malls are dying malls. So they are, 
they want people to come in and rent out these spaces and they're very inexpensive. So the mall I was at, it was one of the dying malls. So I was paying $75 a month to rent my kiosk. $75 USD a month? Yeah, a month. What the heck? Okay, wow. But you have to work. Because you 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 still got to pay insurance. I had to pay insurance to be in the mall. Um, that's like liability insurance. Like if somebody was over in front of my business and they fall and hurt themselves, it wouldn't be on the mall. It would be on me because you had to have insurance. So I had to pay insurance. Um, because that was another fee. I can't remember how much I paid for that. It wasn't a lot, but it was more than what I was paying for rent. Um, what was I about to say? Uh, so yeah, when I moved into the store, it was a little more. It was like $300 a month, I think, or maybe 200, 250 or something like that. It wasn't a whole lot, but I had to pay for that and I had to pay for lights. You know what I'm saying? And, but I was cheap. So I didn't pay for heat. Like I was supposed to pay for heat too. And I'm like, I'm not paying for heat. <laughs> it was in there. Oh, bro, they had on that. That's, that's... <laughs> but, yeah, but but look, so when I say you had to work, what I mean by that is you're in a dying mall. So those malls, if you've been to those malls before, they still get foot traffic. They, but you're going to have to get out there and talk to people and get them to come and spend money with you. You can't, and you got to advertise on your own to get word of mouth. You can't just think the money, you open the doors and people just going to flood your business. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So after a while, I did get um, repeat customers or loyal customers and the word did get out. Like it felt so good that when I was doing my calendar for the, um, for these weekends, for people to come out and, um, and come and do the book signings. Mm -hmm. my calendar was filled up for the year like in months because I still feel to this day that is a, a, a part of the market that is not being catered to like a lot of money is being left on the table because there's so many independent authors out here and the, 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 the few big stores that's out here don't want to carry their work and I kind of understand now I kind of understand why now now that I've been in the business, but I still think it's a, 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 a medium area where we can kind of meet halfway with that. But yeah, I feel like it's a lot of money being left on the table. That is so fascinating. So, okay, so how did it, because this you don't have a store currently, correct? Right. So tell us, how did it end? Okay, so when I was doing the store, I was still working at the same time. So that, that's another thing. So being that this was a dying mall, they gave me a lot of leeway because they didn't want me to leave. They wanted to keep getting the rent money. In a, a regular mall where you're paying, for even for a little kiosk, you might pay $1,500 to $3,000 a month. They want you open every day from the time the mall opens to the time the mall closed, or you're gonna get a fine, you get fined. They were supposed to find me, but they didn't because they didn't want me to leave. They wanted to keep getting the rent money. So I wouldn't come in until I got off of work. So I come in at like 5.15, 5.30, Monday through Friday, and I would stay until it closed at nine o'clock. And then I would just work all day, Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. So, how did I get to this point? What, what am I going with this story? What was the, the original question? How did it how did it come to Oh, me? yeah, yeah. So being that I was working every day like that, I had my son. He was living with me, one of my sons, my oldest. I would have him go to the mall when he got home from school at 3 o'clock and open up. And he would work with me on the weekends. After he left to go off to college, I didn't want to do it by myself anymore. So that's what made me end up closing. Cause I was making money, but I wasn't making enough money to hire somebody. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I probably could, 
if I would have stuck with it, like really grinded it out, I think I, I would have been, I, I probably could have made it work. But the, the passion was kind of dying off for me. You know what I'm saying? Because I was going on like two, three years strong. And I know they say you need to be in business at least five years for it to be, you know, before it starts to see some success. But I buckled after that two years. And especially after my help was gone, I was like, yeah, I'm done. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, so that's how it ended. Would you ever do it again? Yes, I do plan to do it again. But I want to be in a, I don't want to work in the store anymore. I want to be in a position where I can just hire people. Got it, got it, got it. You know, I'm going to do a lot of things differently. Like If anybody listening out here, because there's a lot of people that do open up their little own bookstores. I've seen a lot of people come and go, just like I came and went. And they probably make some of the same mistakes I made. So if anybody out there listening, they plan on opening up their own bookstore. One of the mistakes I made was accepting everybody's stuff. You can't accept everybody's stuff. You got to be particular with this, the material that you put in your store because you, you won't be able to sell it. So what is something you would not accept today, knowing what you know? Man, you should have seen some of the stuff I was getting. I would get books in the mail because I would have them mail them to me. I would get books in the mail. Um, you look at the back, there's no words on the back. There's no words on the spine. Um, the cover looks like they made it on the printer. You open up the inside, the font is like a, a 10. You know what that means, right? Like, like it's super small. Like super small. <laughs> it just looked like trash. None of it looked good. You know what I'm saying? And that's just from a lack of people paying somebody to do it. They're like, oh, I can do it myself. It don't matter. Mm -hmm. But it does matter because the 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 reader's gonna pick that up and be like, oh, uh no, that's okay. I don't want that one. So then you as a store owner. You're sitting with all this inventory in your store that you can't sell. Yeah. And yeah, you can put it in a box and mail it back to them. But why go through all of that when you can just have a, 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 a acceptance policy? You know what I'm saying? No, I don't accept this type of stuff. You And you can let them know why. Then they can go and step their game up. Mm, 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 mm. And another thing I learned was and I had a, a guy who used to be, who had a clothing store in the mall. He was a little older than me. He, he used to put me up on so much game, but being young, I, I didn't listen to it or respect it as much as I should have. He used to tell me, that's what made me start doing the book signings at first. He used to tell me, you getting these people books, they need to be in here helping you sell these books. If they ain't helping you sell these books, get their books out of here. And I'm like, no, it's a win-win situation for both of us. Because I didn't pay them for the books. I'm just going to get them their money once I sell them. He's like, they mailed you them books. They sitting at home watching TV. They going to call you. Like, how many of my books you sell today? Like, you, like they pimping you. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't look at it like that until I started trying to get people to come in and do book signings, and they didn't want to do it. I mean, like people who live right here in, I'm in Indiana. I could not hardly get anybody who lived in Indiana, Indiana to come and do a book signing. Yet, that's what used to make me mad. You live right on the other side of town and you wouldn't come in and do a book signing. But I had people flying in from New York, Baltimore, Chicago, Detroit, um, Ohio. People was flying in from all over the country to come do book signings but you live 30 minutes away and you won't come do one i started calling people like come get your books come get your books because that's what helps sell the books people the ordinary reader don't know that you're not famous all they hear is i flew in from new york to tell you about my book they're like oh my god that's so cool so that helps to sell the book. And you live 15 minutes away and you don't want to come. 
Because in their mind, they're thinking, that's a dead mall. I ain't going over there. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. used to just make me laugh. Like, how you let somebody come from out of town and outdo you in your own city? Mm. You know what I'm saying? So those are the main two things that I would I would do differently next time. You know what I'm saying? I'm not accepting just anything. And I'm going to have some kind of program set up to where when the authors come, because at first when the authors came, it was just like, I'm not, because that was another mistake I made. I used to try to pump and promote people's stuff. They didn't want to pump and promote their own stuff online before they got here. So they wanted me to promote it online and they wanted me to promote it in my city and all they do is show up. I'm like, that stuff costs money and time. And you can't even share it on your page that you're going to be in Indiana. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the things that I would not do. I, I, I'm not, I'm, I, I would not um, just accept anything and I would not, um, I don't know what I was trying to say, but yes, those are the things that I wouldn't do. Yeah, wow. Those those are a lot of good points. And thank you so much for, for sharing that with us, giving us that insight, because I know so many people do want to, at some point, um, do their their own thing and so thank you for that all right well the floor is yours um how can we follow you how can we support you buy your stuff go ahead and drop 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 stuff so what i would really like is for people to i would love for you to go to my website crimefictionmedia.com and check out my work but i know sometimes people be a little cash strapped so what you could really do to help is go to my YouTube page, like and subscribe to Crime Fiction Media. You know what I'm saying? Put in Crime Fiction Media, my, my, my page should pop up. Like, follow, subscribe. And if you're looking for me on any social media you want to talk or build or whatever, just put in my name, Antoine Floyd Senior, across all social media. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for popping on to my podcast. I appreciate it. I know the listeners will appreciate it. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your night. You too. Thank you for having me on. I hope you enjoyed that, guys. Oh, my gosh. I could sit and talk to Antoine all day. He's such a good time. Um, But definitely check him out on social media. Check out his website. Check out his books. And let the man know that you heard him on my podcast. I need to start saying that more and more and more. If you hear someone for the first time um, and it leads you to their page, it leads you to follow them, let them know, hey, I heard you on the Winifred podcast. All right. Do me that one solid favor. I would appreciate it. And um, I'm sure they'll appreciate it as well. Thank you again for listening. More interviews on the way i'm going to close out this year 2022 with just a a whole bunch of interviews from more amazing people that i feel so fortunate to be able to sit and talk with um so yeah that's it for this episode 